So today we're going we're gonna to look at a passage that uh, was challenging for me this week in a really, really good way. Um, and I'm excited about what the Lord has for us today. But let's, let's start with kind of picking up where we left off last week. Um, last week, we, Glenn talked to us about a man named Stephen, who um, was a nobody really in terms of the Jewish faith and religion. He was a believer. Um, you guys remember the story, I'm sure. There were some uh, people that came to the apostles and said, uh, look, some of our widows and orphans are not being taken care of uh, as good as these. The, the dispute was between the Hellenistic Jews, those that spoke Greek, and, and then the real Jews, as they thought, that spoke Hebrew. Um, and there was this tension between those two groups. Um, and so the apostles said, look, it's not good for us to waste our time, or to spend our time, rather, um, settling these disputes. We're going we're gonna to elect some people from out of the body that can handle this. And so they chose seven, one of those being Stephen. Okay, and then we know that the next, the very next day after this happens, um, Stephen is attacked by the Pharisees. Um, Stephen preaches his sermon, uh, really cuts right down to the heart of the issues, and then he is stoned to death. Okay, um, so that's kind of that's where we left off. And, and the, the gist for last week was that God has a call for all of us. And, and even though you might feel like you're a nobody in terms of the church, you're not in leadership in any way, um, God has a, a specific plan for you. And I, I was thinking about this this week. We, we kind of have a, a hierarchy that we think of in the church, and it starts down um, with members, and then uh, maybe deacons, and then staff, and then elders, and then our pastor, and then, of course, God's at the top. Um, but when we think of that hierarchy, a lot of times, we, wherever we find ourselves in that, we kind of we get stuck in that spot and we think, oh, well, I'm just a member, so um, some of this stuff, well, that's for the staff to do, or that's for the elders to do, or oh, I'm not mopping the floor, that's, that's the deacon's job, or whatever. You, you know what I'm saying. Um, and I think what God is trying to move us toward understanding is that we need to, we need to blur those lines. Uh, instead of thinking of like a ladder and you climb, and as you climb, you get more responsibility, and uh, we, need to, we need to get rid of that thinking. What we need to understand is that we are all part of the body. Um, all of us have our own unique call in, in what we're supposed to do here. Um, and if we, don't, if we don't do what God is calling us to do, then it affects the rest of the body. Okay? Um, so when I was in high school, I was part of the Methodist Church, um, and John Wesley was one of the founding fathers of the Methodist Church. Uh, and there was this t-shirt that, that some of the youth made that we called them blue hairs at the time. The older people did not like because they thought it was disrespectful. But it had a picture of John Wesley on it said, John Wesley is my homeboy. Okay? And I love the idea of that shirt because what it communicated was that John Wesley was just a guy, just like I was a guy. And that he was no different from me, and, and if y'all were a bunch of youth, this is where I would make a potty joke, but I'm not going to do that, because we're in church. Um, but John Wesley was just a guy, but he was a guy who loved the Lord, and he pursued him, and then as a result, he started a, a denomination, okay? And, and the idea that I love is that God is calling us all individually to something much bigger than we could possibly imagine, Okay, he's doing this progressively in our lives as we walk with him, as we learn more about him, as we learn to hear his voice. He's moving us forward in his plan for our life. Okay, and and all that he's asking us to do is to just stay, take a step of faith. Glenn's been talking about for the last couple of weeks about God has given him this vision for twenty to forty people in our church that would that would step up and say, "I want to commit to abiding and to blessing." Okay, 
and, and committing to community that this is something that I know that God is calling me to and I want to make my best effort to, to pursue that and to be a leader in the church. And, and when we talk about being a leader in the church, we're not talking about um, it in those terms because as soon as you commit to that, we're going to say, oh, here's your new job. We don't operate that way here at the Gathering Place. Everything is organic. If a ministry gets started, it's because God has called you specifically to do it. It's never going to come from, from, from the elders down in that way. Okay? What makes you a leader is the fact that you have made a decision. You've made a commitment to yourself and to God to say that I'm going to pursue God daily. Okay? That's what makes you a leader. It's not because you have a, a special set of skills or an assignment from us. Um, We've always kind of assumed that that hierarchy exists in the kingdom as well. But Jesus challenges us to think about that. He look, look at this passage with me. Um, this was in Moravians this morning. Uh, and this is out of Mark, I believe, chapter 3. Yep, 31 through 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they went to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You see, what Jesus is saying here, what he's trying to communicate is that his mother and his brothers aren't special because they're related. They're not special because of the blood that's flowing in their veins. They're special because they are the ones who are with the Father. They are the ones who are abiding. They are the ones who are in his presence, and that is what makes them special. Okay? Um, I've talked with several of you guys this week about that 20 to 40 group, and I've gotten some similar responses, okay? Uh, and some of those are like this. Uh, I want to, but I'm just, I don't think I'm there yet. Um, I know God's calling me to do this, but I don't know what he would have me to do. Um, I, I can't lead. That's just not me. Those are some of the, some generic responses that I've, that I've heard this week. And I want you guys with me, Anna, go ahead and put that up on the screen. I want you to say this with me. It's not about me. Okay. Y'all did not say it with me. I'd like you to say it with me. It's not about me. Okay, cool. We're all on the same page now. All right. We still are missing it sometimes. All, all God is asking you to do is to abide. That's it. We're not trying to sign you up for something. We're not asking you to be an evangelist. We're not asking you to be a pastor. We're not even asking you to be a janitor. All we're asking you to do is to abide. Okay? Let's look at Stephen. He thought that he was signing up to help with uh, management of the resources, about making sure that the widows and the orphans were taken care of. Nope. Stephen, you're an evangelist now. Okay, that's how it works in God's economy. We think we have an idea of what it's going to be, and then God does something different. Okay, in a minute we're going to talk about a guy named Philip who was called along with Stephen to oversee the food distribution, and he answered that call. However, God used him in something much more massive than he could have ever imagined or dreamed. My point is, is that we get in the way of ourselves. Stop worrying about what you think might or might not happen if you commit, and just say yes to abiding in God. Have you ever considered that the reason that God Have you ever considered that the reason that God is leading you is and you can't think of what that might be is because it is bigger than anything you can think of. It might be that God has a plan for you that's way outside of the scope of what you ever imagined you were capable of doing. And God's calling you. He's asking you to take that small step like we talk about with Moses, just throw down the staff. Just say yes. And then stand back and watch what God does in your life that he's doing, not that you're doing. 
okay? All God's asking us to do initially is to abide. And you know what the natural result of abiding is when you do that? You bless. The blessing comes after the abiding. It doesn't work in the other way around. I want to tell you guys a story. I shared this with my life group a couple of weeks ago. I've been praying for a couple of people that I work with, asking God specifically that he would give them a desire to, to hear his voice. Okay, The beginning of that, bless acrostic, is begin with prayer. And that's where I am in process with this guy. Okay, I'm just praying for him. Okay, And then as the Holy Spirit leads, we'll move to the next step, which is listen. So I'm in the office one day, and I hear him... Uh, he hears me talking to someone else. He says, Will, come here in my office real quick. So I go in his office, and he shuts the door, and he says, Hey, Larry, I got Will on the phone. Uh, he's going to help us understand this. And, uh, and so he puts it on speaker, speakerphone, and he says, Hey, Will, this is Larry. Larry, this is Will. Now, I, don't, I have no idea who Larry is at this point. It's a guy named Larry. Hey, Larry, what's up? I'm Will. And Larry said, Will, I'm really struggling with John chapter 15. And for those, a lot of you guys weren't here. Um, we've spent all year last year just looking at Jesus um, several years ago, we spent a whole year just in John chapter 15, okay? So you think we've been long-winded about Jesus and about blessing? <laughs> you don't even know. So when he says, I need help understanding John chapter 15, all right, Jesus, here we go, let's go. So I spent 30 minutes on the phone helping this guy understand what Jesus is trying to communicate in John chapter 15, which is the story about the vine and the branches, about how the, the branch is supposed to be a part of the vine and that the fruit comes through that vine being attached to the branch. And there was a particular part that he was struggling with, and we talked through that, and I helped him understand the theology around it. And as a part of that, that's where that abiding cycle comes from. If you want to know where, that, where we discovered that, it's in John chapter 15. So the Lord was setting this up. Now, the guy that I've been praying for is just sitting there listening. He's not the one necessarily that asked for the understanding. It's the guy on the phone. But I have the ear of the guy who brought me to the, to the phone. Okay? So we spent 30 minutes going through the abiding cycle. And I explained I had him draw it out because we're on the phone. I said, okay, draw a circle. At 12 o'clock, write this. And we walked all the way through it. Okay? And the next day, we got off the phone. It was great. The guy was like, man, this is exactly what I needed. So the next day... Steve uh, comes to me and he says, hey, when are you going to bring, because I, I told Larry, it's like, hey, if you want, we have a book that uh, we wrote about this as a church to help you kind of understand God has a lot more detail. He's like, oh man, yeah, I'd love it. So the next day, Steve calls me, hey, when are you bring that book to Larry? I said, well, I'm going out of town this week. When I get back, I'll bring it to him. I said, okay. So two weeks later, I get back in town. I went and got a copy from Glenn and I drive and I meet this guy, Larry, for the first time. And he comes out of his office and he gives me this huge bear hug and he says, Will, this has literally changed my life. I didn't set that up. It wasn't a plan that I had in place. I didn't even know Larry. I, still, I met him one time. I, I hope he's doing well. I hadn't talked to him since. But the point is, is that this was not a plan that I formulated. I had some, some goals in mind, some conversations that I was going to have. I was just at my office working, doing what I do every day. But I was abiding. And, and as I was abiding, the Holy Spirit prompted, and I was ready because we were in communion with one another. Last week, we finished out our, our worship with a song, So Will I, by Hillsong United. And these are some of the lyrics from the chorus. It said, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times. We ended last week by corporately praying and agreeing together that we would go where God would send us.
Where we're going this week is going to require all of us to walk in faith. It's going to require us to go places in, in ourselves and in the community and do things that we never imagined. It's going to require us to lay down the rights to ourselves to say it's not about me and to live for others. Y'all ready to dig in? All right, let's go. All right, so today we're talking about the spread of the gospel, okay? We're going to start in chapter 8, verses 4 through uh, 8 is where we'll begin, okay? Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Remember, this is right after Saul comes in and holds the coats while they stone Stephen. After that, immediately, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Okay, so let's start with verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Okay? The result that Paul was hoping for, or Saul at this time, when he was persecuting the churches, that he could stomp it out. Okay, he was hoping that there was this little fire that was in these people and that he could beat it out of them. Okay, I want you to imagine, have this image in your mind. If there's a fire and you want to put it out and you start beating it with a hammer or with a shovel, what's going to happen? Is it going to go out? No, it's only going to fan the flame and, and, and it's going to send embers. Paul's laughing. He apparently has done this before. Okay, it's going to send the embers out. And then what happens to those embers when they fall on the ground? They start more fires and then you have an even bigger mess. Okay. I'm glad Paul's with me today. Thank you, Paul. All right? So I want you to remember from chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago, there was a Pharisee named, I'm going to try not to butcher this, Gamma Liel, okay, who advised the Pharisee council on how to handle the apostles. Remember, they had arrested the apostles and brought them in and were trying to convince them to, to not do this. They were trying to threaten them. And this Pharisee, who's a leader in the council, pushes, gets the apostles out of the room, and he gathers up the Pharisees, and he says this. This is in chapter 5, verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before the, these days, the dais rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in those days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is the plan, for if, it, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice for now. They almost listened. But because this movement was of God and, the, and it was gaining traction, they got nervous. They didn't know it was of God. They just saw that it was gaining traction and they got nervous and so they tried to handle it. Okay? Matthew Henry says in his commentary on this particular passage, Christ had said, I come to send fire on the earth and though... They thought by scattering those who were kindled with that fire to have put it out, but instead this they did, but helped to spread it. Okay, so there's that imagery again of trying to beat out a fire and it's sending the embers out and more fires igniting. Okay, people scattered, but they brought the gospel with them. Matthew Henry also said this, they went, 
evangelizing the world, preaching the word of the gospel. It was this which filled them and which they endeavored to fill the country with. Those of them who were preachers in their preaching and others in their common converse. There's two things I want to point out that Matthew Henry is saying there. Okay, The gospel was in them. It was overflowing out of them and everywhere they went, it went with them. But I want you to notice that he says specifically, there were those who went to preach that were preachers. And everyone else brought it in conversation with them. The work of sharing the gospel is not just my job and Glenn's job. The work of sharing the gospel is our job together. You may not be called to be a preacher, and that's wonderful. We don't need all of you to be preachers. We'd never get out of here. What we need is for you to be you and do what God says for you to do. And that's enough, okay? Years ago, whenever I was early on in youth ministry, we read this book. It was really popular. There was a version for the church and there was a version for youth ministry. The one that I read was by Doug Fields. It was called Purpose Driven Youth Ministry. You guys, I'm sure, have heard of Purpose Driven Church. That's old, old stuff now, okay? But that book basically was about a strategic plan about how to reach the lost, Okay, there was these concentric circles, and for each circle, it was a different group of people, and you had a different plan for how to reach those people. It, it was good in thought, in theory, but in practice, it's not really how God works, okay, in my opinion, okay? This was not a plan that, that the apostles had. They didn't sit down and have a meeting and say, okay, guys, Jesus said, we're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. So, okay, we got Judea now, all right, let's move to Samaria. That's not how this worked. Okay, they were simply abiding in God, okay? And as they were abiding, they couldn't help but share what was going on in their lives, okay? It's just like, okay, if you just had a baby, think of the people that you know that just had a baby and have blown your Facebook up with baby spam, right? Or, or maybe it's someone uh, who recently got married and they're getting uh, what I call um, a, a tryout baby, a.k.a. a puppy, okay, right? People get married, they get their first baby, which is a puppy, and they try it out. Um, my, my tryout baby didn't work too good. I slammed his head in the door. Um, it, it, he was messed up the rest of his life, okay? Um, and just so you know, uh, that usually is a good teller about what kind of parent you're going to be. Just this morning, I smashed Charlie's finger in something. So, you know, no hope for me, okay? That's why I had so many kids. I got a few extras, all right? Look, these guys... Just like, just like us, when something great happens in our life, we can't help but share. We've got to put it all over social media. We've got to share it with everybody because we're really excited about it. That's what's going on in these guys' hearts. They're so excited about this new thing. Now, it's, it's scary in a lot of ways because they're being persecuted, but the news is so good they can't help but share it, okay? Just like this, this story I just shared with you about this guy, Larry. I didn't plan for that to happen. But when it did, I was so excited, and I, I couldn't wait to tell everybody that I knew, okay? All right, let's keep going. Let's see what the Holy Spirit does in Philip. All right, so now remember, Philip was appointed with Stephen, okay, to help manage resources, okay? He was not a trained evangelist or pastor. Those were not what God originally called him to do. God called him out of the body to manage resources, okay, to make sure the orphans and widows were taken care of. Verse 5, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaim to them the Christ. Now this, at first, seems like a pretty simple statement, but it's huge. This is a huge statement, and, and we're fixed to, to dig into this, okay? Do y'all remember the woman at the well that Jesus had a conversation with? The disciples went into town to find food. There's a woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. Jesus sits down and has a conversation with her, which broke all the cultural rules. First of all, she was a woman. 
And second of all, she was a Samaritan, and Jews did not associate with Samaritans at all. Okay? So here we see Philip, who goes to Samaria. One of the commentaries I read today, it said, The Samaritans were half-Jews who had come into existence as a result of intermarriage between peoples brought in during the deportation by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. with those that remained. Later, during the return from exile by Jews to rebuild the temple. Okay? The Samaritans were refused a part of that. So remember, Nehemiah comes in after, um, or while they're in Babylonia. And it comes in to rebuild the wall. Well, the Samaritans show up. They've intermarried. These Jews have intermarried with all the people that the Assyrians brought in. And they want to help rebuild the wall. And the Jews said, no, you're not, any, you're not one of us anymore. You're mixed blood. You're out. We're not letting you help. Okay? So for 700 years, roughly six to 700 years, there is this wedge that is driven between the Samaritans and the Jews. Okay? The Holy Spirit uses Philip to break down this wall of racism between the two. We're going there today. We, we can't avoid it, okay? I want you to consider that here in North America, racism has existed for roughly 400 years. The first slave was brought into the United States in the year 1619. So next year will be 400 years that we've had this divide in our country between two people groups, okay? Before you turn me off, okay, by thinking to yourself, I'm not a racist, I want you to consider with me for a moment the story we've all heard about the frog in the boiling pot. Started off warm, slowly increased until he boiled to death, okay? We're the frog in the pot. If you'd have asked me years ago if I was a racist, I'd have said, no, absolutely not. Because I couldn't, my perspective was skewed. I didn't realize what was in my heart. Bethany and I were talking about this a couple of days ago, and she shared a story with me, okay? And it, this blew my mind, Okay? I grew up in Grant Parish. A lot of you guys know that about me. Okay, hold the applause. Bethany was a cheerleader. Yes. She was in Jonesboro, okay? And she was telling me that when they would travel, the cheerleaders would travel with the football uh, team um, to, to games, there was one game every year that was drastically different than all the rest, and that was the game at Grant High because the football players were scared, Okay? Now, I remember stories when I was a kid, people jokingly talking about there used to be right outside of Pollock, which is the place where I grew up, a couple of dummies hung on nooses with a sign. I won't tell you what the sign said, but you can guess. Okay? I was part of the group that that bus full of people was afraid of. I was completely unaware. Here's the point. We're like the frog in the pot. Our perspective lies to us. We think we're fine, and a lot of times we're far from it. Now, I'm not trying to put my experience on you. You've got to figure that out for yourself. I'm just sharing my story with you guys, okay? But the parallel that I'm trying to draw here is that Philip was called by God to cross over racial lines for the sake of sharing the good news uh, of Jesus with those um, in, that, in that demographic group. Philip's call was to cross racial lines. And we all, I, I never saw that till this week. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I never put those pieces together. Philip just went to Samaria. Cool. Awesome. I didn't see all the racial stuff that was happening in there. Okay? I want you guys to keep in mind where our church is located. Physically in this place. And the community that's around us. There's a reason that we are here. Okay? So you may ask me, how do we know that Philip 
was led by the Holy Spirit to Samaria. Two reasons. Number one, he went. That was a big deal. And number two, they listened in one accord. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit. Okay? Verse 6, it said, The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, and when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Okay? So if Philip is abiding in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, God-exclusive activity happens. He cast out demons, it says, and he healed the paralyzed and the lame. The result of Philip's obedience was the truth of the gospel and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And it says that it brought much joy to the city. This was not a carefully planned out and executed plan. This was not a ploy or a gimmick to prove that this was a new branch of religion that was better than the ones that had come before it. This was the result of one man obeying the Holy Spirit. One nobody. One deacon. One man who was abiding. There's an entire people group here in America that's hurting. I read a book over the last two weeks that has changed my perspective on racism in the United States dramatically. Okay? It's a book by a lady named Austin Channing Brown. It's called I'm Still Here, Black Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Okay? It's no accident that God put me in this book two weeks ago. Like I said, I had no idea that this passage dealt with race issues. Okay? Austin helped me to see that there are many issues that I didn't even know were the out there, okay? Issues that, that are huge. And honestly, I now have so many more questions than I had before I ever read the book, okay? But listen to this quote from her book, okay? Because at the end of it, um, so good. She offers um, no solutions in this book really to speak of because there's no simple answer. But she says this at the end. She said, I need a love that is troubled by injustice, a love that is provoked to anger when black folks, including our children, lie dead in the streets, a love that can no longer be concerned with tone because it is concerned for life, a love that has no tolerance for hate, no excuses for racist decisions, no contentment in the status quo. I need a love that is fierce in its resilience and sacrifice. I need a love that chooses justice. She says that the church makes feeble attempts at reconciliation, but typically they fall short of anything close to reconciliation because most of the time it boils down to a numbers game. How many people of color did you have in in your church today? How many people of color were baptized in your church this year? That's not reconciliation. So I had to ask myself, what is our call as a church to this community of color? And the answer is to love them like Jesus does. We can only accomplish that kind of love through abiding in Christ. That's not within me. I can't summon that out of me and neither can you. Okay? This is exactly what I see happening with Philip. He wasn't on a mission to reconcile racial tensions between the Jews and Samaritans. He was following the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit broke those racial barriers. The result of this are incredible reoccurring joy. It says that at the end of that passage. Philip comes in. He shares the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit does God-exclusive activity, and the result of that is incredible joy. The Holy Spirit took centuries of pain and conflict and turned it into joy. The Lord wants to do something amazing right here in our local community. But if we aren't abiding, 
It will not happen within our lifetime. It's our responsibility. So here we have this reconciliation we see happening in Samaria. And the results of this were because Philip obeyed the Lord. And then right on the heels of this amazing event comes the enemy. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So the Holy Spirit's working, and who shows up to try and discredit God and what he's doing? The enemy. Okay? Simon's had a monopoly in Samaria on magic. Okay? His whole deal is amazing people with these, these uh, magical things. Okay? And then this guy, Philip, shows up. And is outdoing him at his own craft. He's doing better things that are more unexplainable than even Simon the Great can do. Okay? And so you've heard the saying, if you can't beat them, join them. Simon's like, well, he's pretty awesome. I'll just kind of follow him around and ride his coattails. Okay? But what Satan is trying to use, what he's trying to do here, is to, to make what Philip's doing seem commonplace. Okay? We can't go to sleep at the wheel. Glenn has been reminding us over and over and over to pay attention that the enemy is not going to rest. As we begin to move forward in trying to abide, boom, the enemy's on us. Y'all, this week has been insane, okay? As of right now, my wife is at the ER with Joshua because he might have a concussion because he fell off his bike and his brother ran over his head. Welcome to my life, okay? <laughs> that happened yesterday evening. He went to bed. Everything seemed to be okay other than the fact that he's got tire treads on his face. Um, and then he wakes up this morning and his head's pounding and he throws up. And we're like, okay, all right. Well, there went all last night, Bethany and I were like, we're going to get out of the house early. We're going to do this like a team. We had this little pump talk like, yeah. And then no, okay. I was telling somebody a while ago, Thursday night, I had planned to, to uh, I had a little electrical work I needed to do at the house. And then I was going to sit down and, and write and do some prep, Okay. Um, it took way longer than I expected. My dad, I went to go turn off some lights in the shop, see my dad's outside digging up his septic tank at 1030 at night. His bedtime's like 930, so I know something bad's going on, so I go help him. I ate supper at 1130, and at 1.30, Charlie decides it's breakfast time and screams till 4 a.m., okay? That's the enemy. That's what he does, okay? And that's what he's doing here. He's constantly attacking the early church. And he's going to attack us too, but we just got to recognize it for what it is. So yesterday morning, I went to the office because no one else is there, and it's quiet, and I can write. And I said, okay, God, I've been trying all week. I've had all I can stand. <laughs> you got to do this. And so here we are, all right? So in verse 14, it says, Now the apostles at Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent them to Peter and, and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, I love this section um, because it, it communicates some really good stuff. Okay, Because at first when I read this, I was like, what, what is this about? Why did they not receive the Holy Spirit? Everybody else does. Okay, But here's Philip. We're going to get to that. He's sharing the gospel in a place other than Jerusalem, and particularly with a group of people that have historically been in opposition to the Jewish people. Okay, It would have struck them as unbelievable 
and would have caused quite a bit of turmoil in the early church, okay? So imagine this with me. There's a group of people that has always been against everything that you stand for and will argue with you to, to the death about whether or not who's right and who's wrong. Remember the woman at the well talking about which mountain do we worship on and Jesus kind of snuffs that out and says, don't worry about the mountain, okay? We'll deal with that later, okay? So what... What the church in Jerusalem is seeing is this people that's always been in opposition to them all of a sudden is on their side. They're, they're believing the same thing as them. It was odd. And so John and Peter are like, hey, we're going to go check this thing out. So John and Peter go down, okay? And I, and I like that they, they do this because John and Peter are going to investigate. They're going to verify, okay? Peter and John go to verify the genuineness of their faith. And then, as an official act, they lay hands on them so that they can receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, the reason that this happens is, is that God preserves this falling of the Holy Spirit on them so that Peter and John can see it, they can witness it, and then they can go back to Jerusalem. Because remember, Jesus said that they were going to go all over the world, but they had no idea that, that Jesus was for more than just Jews. They didn't know that the Gentiles could be saved because they didn't believe in their God. This God that we're talking, that, that is referenced when Simon, that's the God of, of Ephesus. And they're, they're, not, they're not talking about, the, they're talking, Simon's talking about God, little g, okay? And the Jews are talking about God, big g, all right? And so there is some confusion there. And so John and Peter go, and Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, waits to descend until John and Peter get there so that they can say, yes, we saw it. This is legit. It's happening, okay? God sent John and Peter to protect the church, that's part of their job as apostles, to, to ensure the integrity of what's going on, okay? And God is determined to protect the early church. That's why he brings Peter and John in. They go out of obedience. Part of their call is protection. And then in verse 18 it says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. It says in that passage that Simon believed, but it appears that his interest was only in the miracles and not in the gospel. We know this because he offers to buy the power that they have when the apostles lay the hands on. We see God using the apostles to protect the integrity of the church by verifying these claims and also keeping people from gaining personal gain through the church. Verse 25, it says, Now when they testified and had spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. I want to point out that it was necessary for both Philip to be a part of this story and the apostles. It took both. Philip followed the Holy Spirit and he went to Samaria. The apostles fulfilled their roles in leading of the church. And God used all of them to break through these cultural and racial barriers. God used a nobody, a guy who was in charge of food distribution to advance the gospel to the rest of the world. This was the first time that the gospel went outside of Judaism. It was the first time that the Gentiles had heard it. And they heard it because Philip was abiding and obeying. 
God has a purpose for our church, and he makes it clear that the only way that we're going to accomplish the purposes that he has for us is through abiding. I was, ben and I were laughing this morning. It's like we keep preaching the same sermon over and over and over because it all boils down to abiding. And until we learn to abide, we're going to keep preaching abiding, okay? And, and just to be clear, when, when I preach and when Glenn preaches, we're preaching to ourselves first, okay? This is stuff that the Lord's been working in me all week, okay? So to those who say things like, I'm not ready, I don't know what to do, I'm not that person, good, you're exactly where God wants you to be. You're not ready. Satan constantly is trying to convince us that we're not good enough. It's time that we say, you're right, but Jesus is, okay? God's not looking for somebody who's ready. He's looking for somebody who's willing to abide. I was not ready to be a very white youth pastor in this community, okay? I still feel that way most of the time, all right? Just so we're clear, okay? And I, I read... Austin's book thinking that it would help, but it did not. It gave me more questions, harder questions with no easy answers, okay? Austin tells a story in her book about a trip she went in uh, on when she was in college, and they came to Louisiana, she was from the Chicago area, to visit a plantation, and then, it, and it was funny, she said that they planned this trip, it was a mixed trip, it had people of color and white people, and one of the activities, they were going to pick cotton at the plantation, and she thought, Oh my God, who designed this? Okay. So they went to the plantation. It was very awkward. And they got back on the bus. Each of them had an opportunity to take the mic. You know, those big tour buses, they got a mic and get on there and you can say whatever you want to say. And there was some back and forth between, between the two groups. And then the next place they stopped was a lynching museum. Very different experience. They came out crying, got on the bus. A couple of people tried to say something. It was awkward. And then she says this. After a long silence, one of the young white ladies got up on the bus and took the mic and she said this. She said, I don't know what to do with what I've learned. She said, I can't fix your pain and I can't take it away, but I can see it. And I can work for the rest of my life to make sure your children don't have to experience the pain of racism. And then she said nine words that I've never forgotten. Doing nothing is no longer an option for me. These words have echoed in my head for the last two weeks. This is towards the beginning of the book. I don't know what I can specifically do. God has not given me a specific task. But here's what I do know. If I abide in Christ daily, I will be exactly where I need to be, when I need to be, and say what I need to say. Not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit. And not because I have the answers, but because God does. And he's going to be the one calling the shots if I abide moment by moment. When we talk about abiding, we're not just talking about in the big stuff, like when you change a job or do I buy a car. Moment by moment. And you may be asking yourself, what does that even look like? For me, and my, I sell gas pumps and design gas stations for a living. I'm not a, this is not a full-time job. You guys know that. And so for me, what moment-by-moment moment abiding looks like is if I've got a new customer and I know I'm going to meet with them, I pray over that meeting before we go. And while we're there and we're talking, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not having a side conversation. Hold on just a minute. Hey, Jesus, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not, I'm not a weirdo, mostly. You can form your own opinion. Eh, I heard that. Must have been Russ. But every day when I wake up, I say, all right, God, this is your day. 
Show me what to do. Okay, I've referenced this guy before. You guys heard me say the name Brother Lawrence, but he was a monk, and his whole life was dedicated to being in God's presence every moment of every day. Okay, He says this about distractions, or, or someone was interviewing him, and they wrote down his response. It says, At times a crowd of wandering wild fancies would invade his mind and take violent possession of the place of God. When this happened, he kept quite calm and proceeded immediately to expel them. With this done, he returned to his communion with God. We're going to get distracted. When I'm at work and things are getting hectic, I forget about God sometimes. But as soon as I remember, just say, hey, God, I wasn't abiding. Forgive me that. And jump right back in. You see, Satan wants to convince us that we're, we're defeated, and we are, because we were distracted. But because of God's grace and forgiveness, boom, jump right back in there and keep going. Don't let the enemy say, well, that day's screwed. Just wait till tomorrow and try again. That's not what God wants. Okay, just refocus and get back to it. Everything we talk about as a church, it all depends on abiding. We have to abide. Guys, it's, this is not a choice for us. If you're, if you're a member of this body, the expectation of God is that you abide. That's, that's who we are. It's what we do. Okay, Philip's call, my call, Glenn's call, your call, they're all the same. All of them. It's a call to walk by faith, by abiding in Christ, and then obeying what he says. Listen to the Holy Spirit when he speaks, obey, and then step back and watch. Okay? I want you guys to understand that uh, I know that Philip went to Samaria because God called him there. Okay? And, and the only reason that the racial tension was destroyed in the other church was because the church was abiding in Christ. But I, I don't want you to think for a second that I, I am naive enough to think that this is a simple fix because it's not. Okay? Racism exists in this community, in Alexandria, in the state of Louisiana, in the United States. Okay? And there's nothing that we can do that's magically going to fix that. But what we can do is abide. What we can do is make a difference in this community. What we can do is make a difference in the people that God has placed directly in our lives, that we do life with, that we work with, okay? Here's what's happening right now in our community. I know I talk a lot about youth ministry, but it's where God has me, and all I can share is the stories that I have. I had somebody one time who told me, if you, if you teach beyond your experience, you lose the anointing of God. And what they're trying to communicate is you can only tell your story. I can't tell Kobe's stories. Kobe can't tell mine. We're in different places in life. So I'm going to share my story with you, and then you, you translate that into your own life. Okay? But here's what's happening in our community. Okay? I'm an idiot about these kids' culture. They know it, and I know it, and I admit it. That's where we start. Okay? My life is drastically different than theirs is. They know it, and I know it. We talk about it. Okay? In spite of that, we love these kids the best that we possibly can. Okay? We abide the best that we can. And you know what's happening? We're learning from these kids. We're learning about who they are. And they are feeling love. They're feeling it from Bethany. They're feeling it from Kyle. They're feeling it from Jacob. They're feeling it from Doug. They're feeling it from Shirley, Brittany, Kaylee, Peyton. Everybody who volunteers here on Wednesday nights with the kids and the youth, they feel loved because they know that they are important to us. They know that we don't fully understand their lives and what life looks like for them for right now. But they also know that we love them and we want to understand. They know that we as a church are willing to walk through life with them wherever that takes them. Youth and children's ministry is our call. Okay, 
When I say ours, I'm talking about those people that I listed because we're the ones there, okay? My question for you is, what is your call? What is God calling you to do? If you're a member of this church, you have a purpose, and it's not to sit in that chair on Sunday mornings or to just go to a life group on Wednesday night and eat everybody else's food. Kobe. What's your call? What is God asking you to do? I can tell you, step number one, abide. And then just watch. See where he leads you. Okay? Who is it in your life that God is calling you to love and to bless? Okay? I promise you that if you will stop trying to make something happen and just abide, things will happen. Because you've gotten out of the way and you've let the Holy Spirit be in control. Okay? If you've been praying or thinking or not praying or thinking about being one of these 20 or 40 people, but you feel like the Holy Spirit is keyed in on you today, come talk to me. Call Glenn. He's on vacation, but he'll answer his phone if he's not on the bike. Okay? Do not let the enemy fool you any longer into thinking that you can't. Because you can. Well, you can't, but the Holy Spirit can in you as you abide. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the challenges that you've given me personally this week. Um, Lord, it's my, my hope and my prayer that, that uh, today you were heard and that um, your heart was communicated well. Father, I ask that this week that as we um, pursue you, as we move forward in life, that God, you would lead us, that we would learn to abide in you moment by moment and trust you and follow you. Amen.